Welcome to Haber Bros, a podcast for historic cross-centered Christians. We seek to provide ancient answers to a culture that's forgotten the questions. Thank you for listening this week. If you like what you're hearing or enjoy the show, please share it with a friend. This is the biggest way that podcasts grow. If you haven't yet given us a five-star rating and a positive review, pause this recording right now and do that now. My name is Kirk Haberman. I'm a teacher and a church musician, and this is my brother, Chris, a priest. Chris, how are you? I'm great. I mean, a good vacation has to put everyone in a good mood, and last week, we had a great vacation. I, I apologize for um, even throwing out the idea of, of doing a slopeside uh, <laughs> recording. That was just not realistic. The Wi-Fi also wasn't great, which, you know what, on some vacations, that's not a bad thing. I mean, yeah. what do we need Wi-Fi for anyway? We've got, we've got a, a not one, but what, f- how many Lutzens, how many mountains does Lutzen have? Five mountains that you can ski on? Kirk, we, there was indeed an outdoor pool. I don't know why that was so surprising to me. I mean, it's harder to have a hot tub than a pool. Pool, you heat less than a hot tub. So why not have a pool? I don't know. More, There's more volume. There's, like, uh, they were, be a, the hot tub was pretty big. Problem. A hot tub was pretty okay. big, but uh, yeah, there was a decent sized outdoor pool that the kids enjoyed. I, I enjoyed the, the hot tub. I, I didn't go in the pool. I threw snowballs <laughs> at the kids who were in the pool. <laughs> dad, and, and it's like a dad, dad thing stop it. where I do it. And then the kids do it, like overdo it. And then right. we're like, okay, everybody has to quit. Right. And Meg's like, why did you do that? <laughs> Drunks and kids both love repetition. <laughs> yes. Yeah, modeling all kinds of good behavior. Um, Kirk, can I can I um, share with our listeners? Should I share with our listeners the the big win that we had? This is a great story. It's a great story because parenting's hard, Kirk. Right? Parenting's hard. very hard. There's not always rewarding. Not always sometimes rewarding. You get a sometimes. Moment. Sometimes you have a moment where you're just like, I'm proud of this kid. Um, and uh, this was one of our, our final runs of the, of the entire trip. And uh, skiing in a group is, is, can be some work to stay together. People will ski at different speeds. In this particular run, uh, the kids love to go through the woods. And, um, and so you'd kind of lose track of them. You, you'd kind of ski down uh, parallel on the run while they're in the trees. They would come out of the trees. And, and you'd kind of wait further down the run for them to emerge. Well, we were waiting for several minutes and Jordan did not emerge. And as time elapses, you start to wonder, oh no, is, is she hurt? But we were sufficiently down the slope and the wind was howling. So, I mean, we couldn't yell, you couldn't really hear anything. Um, 
And uh, we, we were too far down to, to really commit to climbing back up. And after minutes, I don't know if it was five minutes, 10 minutes, um, we decided as a group, okay, I'm going to um, go down to the bottom of the hill, get on the trail and go up so that I can start from the top down looking for her. And um, people are going to continue waiting. In fact, my uncle John visited us on the last day. He decided he was going to just take off his skis and start walking up the hill. And uh, when I, I mean, at this point, 20 minutes had elapsed and I'm on the chairlift and John calls me and he says, I, I see her. She's, she's walking up the hill. Oh wait, now she's crawling. Uh, Cause it's hard to walk up a hill on right. uh, in, in boots, depending on how steep it is. Like at, at one, it's physically, it's, it's aerobically hard. It's, it's um, physically hard to not slip and fall. And uh, so she's on all fours. John's yelling to her. She can't hear because of the wind. Uh, he's like, but I see her. I see her and she's okay. She's going up the hill. So I don't know what's going on. Uh, minutes later, which, which uh, when you've got a missing kid seems like much longer. Um, we, uh, by the time we get up, we go into the woods and find her, um, which what had happened was she had encountered rather than her being injured, she had encountered an injured skier. And while other people, adults even, are whizzing by without a care in the world, she stops and attends to this. Like she's 11 years old and she is stopping and, and, and calming. And this guy's get like my mom's phone number is this. And George's like, I don't have a phone. <laughs> There's, um, but um, as soon as she kind of realizes that he's stable enough and not scared, she's like, I'm going to get help. And she does the, the unbelievably difficult task of marching up the mountain, which probably took 10 minutes of, of a, a difficult ascent. And um, she's like, well, where can I find an employee? She knew that the, at the top of the hill, at the very least, there was a, the, the little hut that the lift operator uh, sits in to, to make sure that he could stop the lift if anyone falls so that they don't have someone run into the fallen person getting off the lift. She goes up to the door. This is an 11 year old who's shy, who does not really approach adults ever. Uh, she prefers for us to be that mediator. Just goes up, knocks on the door and is like, there's an injured skier who needs help. That, that my 11 year old was, was um, brave. And in a time of, of pressure and where some people might be like, I don't know what to do. She was like, I know what to do. I can find an employee to alert the ski patrol. Um, and uh, by the time I got there, the ski patrol, you know, she had alerted them and skied back down to the boy and was there attending to him while they're waiting for the ski patrol to bring their toboggan in. Um, it may have been a broken leg and we're not sure. Um, she was very concerned and God bless her heart. Um, her heart, her, her, and her will, which was unruly and her, <laughs> Yeah. Um, which has been corrected by the power of the Holy spirit um, by the washing of, 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 of baptism and through Christ's continual regeneration. Um, like she, she has a heart that desires to, to assist those who are um, injured and in need. And, and at uh, she was very courageous, you know, those kind of moments define us. And, and it was just a very proud moment, you know, not every moment's like that in parenting, but right. um, it, it's just a, an amazing moment to see somebody care for um, somebody else in that way. And, and even um, once they had loaded him up, um, you know, after we had packed up, she wanted to stop by the ski patrol uh, to, to just check on him. And when they, 
they stopped by. I wasn't with them at that moment, but um, the boy was being helped by a wheelchair from the ski patrol. They had done their examination and was being loaded up into his car. And he, and he looked like he was stabilized, probably needed x-rays, but just a, a super proud moment. Yeah. It brings tears to one's eyes as a parent. Yeah. Um, great courage. Mm-hmm. Um, great emotional maturity. Um, and, and, and bravery, right, to approach adults as a child mm-hmm. um, when you, you probably, you did your, you, there's no, in your head, no protocol, no procedures for this. <laughs> no. And problem solving, great problem solving. Like, I have no one here to tell me what to do. What do I do? Like, all that is, is really impressive. Yeah. That's, uh, that's awesome. And now you're, you're back to reality, back home, back to the back to reality. Yeah. Next week, we'll, uh, I'll, I'll share with you. Um, I mean, Kirk, it was a very abrupt end to ski season. Like it was like three days <laughs> of straight of skiing. And then like, Oh, we're, I mean, we're done. That's, that's the end of March. I mean, even in Northern Minnesota, you know, at some point spring's going to come. So well, they're March still skiing up there, but, but, uh, ski season here had ended yeah. weeks beforehand. And, and so we knew that these would be our last days and, and they're over. So, uh, we're doing a two week trial Kirk of swimming so <laughs> jordan's gonna attempt the swim team uh, so i'll give you an update next week on how that's oh, going very cool well, well good good luck in all good luck in all of that yeah um i i have no voice uh last night was uh i, I coach uh, a little league a fifth and sixth grade baseball team that and that combined with kind of school activities during the day yesterday um just totally sapped my voice so it was, a, it was a fun full day, um, but I have I have um, Lenten concerts coming up this weekend, so I'm a, I'm a little apprehensive that my voice won't come back. So I was trying to be a good boy today, and I was trying to be very super low key in the classroom, um, resting resting my voice. So if I sound low key here, I'm trying to be aware of kind of my voice. Um, yeah, but 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 happy but happy to get out on the baseball diamond. That was that was great because um, uh, we, uh, March and April can be mud season for us here. Mm. Can be mud. Um, uh, a lot of the kids got unruly wills and passions with with my kids, <laughs> but it was it was good to get out there. Christopher, should we uh, should we look at the gospel? Good transition. <laughs> <laughs> Let's Kirk. Uh, This week's gospel lesson comes from Luke chapter 20, verses 9 through 19. And he began to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard and let it out to tenants and went into another country for a long while. When the time came, he sent a servant to the tenants so that they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty handed. And he sent another servant. But they also beat and treated him shamefully and sent him away 
empty-handed. And he sent a third, yet a third, and this one they wounded and cast out. The owner of the vineyard said, what shall I do? I will send my beloved son. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they said to themselves, this is the heir. Let us kill him so that the inheritance may be ours. And they drew him, they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and destroy those tenants and give the vineyard to others. When they heard this, they said, surely not. But he looked directly at them and said, what then is this that is written? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. The scribes and the chief priests sought to lay hands on him at that very hour, for they perceived that he had told this parable against them. But they feared the people. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, Kirk, in the Gospel of Mark, uh, Jesus uh, tells us about the purpose of the parables. And uh, at that moment, um, the purpose of the parables, he says, is not to clarify, but in fact, to obscure the meaning, right? Um, right. But then we have other parables where it's clear what Jesus is getting at, and, and even a child would hear. And I'm going to test this, Kirk. Uh, I'm going to... One thing that we've added in our liturgy since the pandemic, um, because we have not added back uh, Sunday school for our kids, usually we do Sunday, uh, an age-appropriate Sunday school lesson during the sermon, uh, at least uh, three Sundays a month. Not, we'd like the kids to be there for the sermon one Sunday a month. But um, we've integrated uh, instead, uh, because we haven't had Sunday school, we've done a children's sermon, which allows me to give an age-appropriate lesson without them leaving and having someone else do that. Uh, and it's also an opportunity for me to uh, preach a little bit to, to the parents who may not realize they're being preached to. Uh, uh, but <laughs> very Straussian. But, but uh, everything's didactic, right? Um, yeah. Worship is formative. Uh, so, um, but I'm going to, I'm going to test this out. My theory that I think the kids should be able to tell me what this means. That I probably don't need to tell them. I, I think they can tell me exactly what this means, uh, at least in part. At least in part. That this is, is very clear, and it's even clear to the scribes and the chief priests, right? <laughs> um, at that very hour, they, they perceived that he had told this parable against them. And so it's not clear how much of it they understood. Um, exact, you know, as we describe it today, did they understand everything they were saying, or was it just clear that he, he was talking about them, that, that, um, the vineyard would be, I mean, the language of vineyard was clear in an old Testament language, the vineyard represented Israel. And so they would have certainly recognized that. And for the vineyard to be taken away from God's chosen people would be clear to them that like, Oh, that's us. And it's going to be given away to someone else, which you know, this is a this is a theme that we've uh, come back to. Not that the covenant is revocable, um, but that those who think that they're on the inside of the covenant are uh, by by like outside means, right? Um, you know, these kind of works of the law um, that they think make themselves righteous, rather than their faith in God, um, as as 
Paul points out um, that that uh, you know it's essentially Abraham's faith that 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 made him declared righteous. Um, we see here um, in uh, today's reading from today's Sunday's reading for from Philippians. Um, this is coming at the end of Paul giving his his uh, his CV, his resume, and um, the 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 things that he had counted important under the old law. And I guess I'm thinking backwards here, Kirk. Even to look back to our Old Testament reading from Isaiah, Isaiah says, or God says, behold, I am doing a new thing. So this, this way that Paul used to keep score, Paul is thrown out. And he says, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count on everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ as my Lord. And I, he goes on to say that he considers these things rubbish. This, this whole pedigree that he has, that under the law, he would have been considered um, among the best. Um, he would have been, you know, Pharisee of Pharisees. Um, and he considers that all rubbish. Um, and, and that's what we see here um, in Luke from, from John the Baptist at the baptism of Christ saying, God can raise up descendants of Abraham from these rocks to the man asking, will those be saved be many or few? And Jesus saying, what you need to be concerned about is yourself. <laughs> like, right. um, Seek the narrow gate. Um, and then here um, we see this parable of Israel being the vineyard and of these prophets that uh, these servants coming to the tenants of the vineyard, the prophets come and they are mistreated. Nobody likes prophets. They beat them and send them away empty-handed. And finally, the owner of the vineyard, God him, sends his only beloved, his beloved son, his only son, um, much as God said to Abraham, Abraham, take your son, your beloved son, your son whom you love, and sacrifice him. God did this for us, that he sent his son and um, in fact, he was thrown out. And uh, the, the scribes and Pharisees and chief priests uh, can't fathom this. What do you, like, I don't understand. What do you mean? Um, and, and, and Jesus uh, cites the Old Testament in support of what it is that he's saying, um, that uh, to, to be one that, that uh, would... would Think that they're doing the righteous thing by killing the son um, to defend the vineyard, um, or or selfishly in this case, um, would do this at great cost to themselves. So I mean, the, so some some parables are, are very complicated, and there are many different ways. Or sometimes we, we shrug our shoulders and say we don't know what's going on. Um, and and this one is is one of those uh, ones where it's very clear what Jesus is saying. Um, and and uh, this is after he had set his face to Jerusalem and is preparing himself, those around him to understand what it is that's going to happen to him. And it's, it's here on this fifth Sunday uh, we encounter on this fifth Sunday of Lent, as we prepare for, for next Sunday um, to um, read the entire passion story and to um, slow down and walk one day at a time with Jesus during his last week. Hmm. I have a question for you. So 
in Matthew's account, which is interestingly enough in Matthew 20 as well, <laughs> this, this, uh, this account in Luke appears in Luke 20. In Matthew's account, um, Matthew um, uh, said, ha, same parable. He has, uh, there's, um, there's a man that sent out and then Matthew just says, and he sent out others. Um, and he finally sent out his son. Luke has a number. It's three that are sent before the sun. Um, are there any, are, are there any, um, is there any significance to that number? Um, does that represent um, uh, Moses, uh, Elijah, and John the Baptist? Um, or no significance? It's just like what Matthew would say, some, several were sent out and, and all were rejected. Does Matthew tell you, uh, tell the story? Because the, the labors in the vineyard in Matthew 20 is um, a different tale. This is, this is the, um, the labors that work different um, amounts of time. Never mind. Okay, well, let's just, <laughs> let's just ask this then. Do the yeah, is there significance three, to the number the of, number of three prophets? signify anything? Yeah. I mean, you know, we, we do look to... Um, Three is a significant number, of course. Um, uh, you know, at the Transfiguration, there's Moses and Elijah. However, when you think about Moses and Elijah, neither of them were really beaten or mistreated. It, it was kind of the the later pro. Well, that's not true. <laughs> Elijah was mistreated, but um, but usually we're thinking of of Isaiah or um, Jeremiah. You know, the ones whose message was not heeded. But Elijah would. would um, I don't know, Kirk. The answer is I don't know, and and I'm kind of searching. Um, I'm thinking, you know, thinking. I, there doesn't have to be an answer. I was, yeah. I was, just, I was, I was curious about that. Yeah. Um. I, so the obvious metaphor here uh, is that um, the um, God's chosen people, right? Um, the the sons of the sons of Israel, the twelve tribes. Um, did not uh, they rejected right uh, the prophets? Um, uh, is is there a way to also read this um, for us, um, or are we to only read this historically? Like for That's us what, as the yeah. church, are there sure. ways in which we reject, um, or 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 should we not over overly subjectivize this? I. I... I mean, that certainly is a danger when we approach scripture is to make it always about us. But I, Kirk, I think the, you know, the opposite side would be another hazard to say, um, this is always about other people that I never need to look myself in the mirror and mm -hmm. wonder, in fact, is, is God asking me, like, am I, am I following him? Am I obeying him? Am I being convicted or am I choosing my own way too? Where that if Jesus, if God actually sent someone to correct me, would I would I reject him and cast him or her out? Okay. I, I think I think it's important to um, and that's Kirk. That's that's what this entire season's about, right? Is is um, is holding up a mirror uh, of self reflecting, and I mean we're really gonna uh, preview the next section. Um, but uh, our, our theology segment today, we're gonna focus on the college of the day. Um, which encapsulates what it is that that um, that God is doing, that He 
um, is bringing into order unruly wills and affections of sinners by his power. Um, yeah. And during the season, when we look to hold up that mirror and, and ask God to reveal our sin, to forgive our sin and, and to live this life of repentance, remembering that repentance isn't um, that, that, that the, the Hebrew idea of repentance is um, one of turning like of, of positionally right turning one's back on our sin and turning and orienting ourselves towards god um yeah. and that the bodily orientation um no matter how close or how far we are from god to make sure that, that we are aligning ourselves with his ways but that's yeah. the christian life right that of of yeah. like of scrutinizing like is it are, are we following god in this or have we found ourselves astray and god is sending um, you know, not, not literal prophets to us, um, to correct us, but in, in small ways, as we sit in the pew and hear the, the word preached to, to allow ourselves the humility to be convicted of our sin, remembering that God does not desires, not the death of sinners, but that we'll, we may turn from our sin and live. Yeah. Can I, uh, can we talk for a, a moment about the Psalm that is cited? Because this is interesting. No, we are only allowed to talk about three of the readings, and we've already talked about the Old Testament. No, I'm not talking about the Psalm 126, which is a lovely psalm. I'm saying the psalm that was cited in this reading, Psalm 118. Okay, well, we can, because that's that's not included in the four readings. Oh, good, good. It's a relief. So in verse verse 16, um, Jesus says, He will come and destroy those tenants and give the vineyard to others. And then I love this, uh, the listeners, the hearers, Um, When they heard this, they said, surely not, right? Like they're shocked, shocked by this, right? Um, And then Jesus replies, but he looked at, looked directly at them and said, what then is this that is written? And then here he cites, here he says this, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Well, that is from Psalm 118, um, verse 22 which is such a messianic psalm. Uh-huh. Um, and so I have to imagine, and maybe you can opine on this, um, that the scribes uh, who were gathered around would have known exactly what he was getting at. Was I, So I wonder, A, well, let me, let me read the passage, and then I'll ask you whether at the time in the first century it would have been interpreted as a messianic psalm or if we only now see Jesus kind of looking backwards at it. So... Uh, Starting at verse 19 of Psalm 118, open to me the gates of righteousness that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. There it is. This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God. He has made his light to shine upon us. Bind the festal sacrifice with cords up to the horns of the altar. And, um, and it continues for a couple more verses. But so um, would that have been provocative? Was it, was it interpreted as a messianic psalm at that point in time? Is Jesus 
um, kind of sending up a messianic signal there. Kirk, I, I'm not sure. And I, I'm not sure if, if our best scholars could say for sure. Okay. Um, there are many prophecies that only became clear that they were messianic once Jesus fulfilled them. And it's like, oh, ah, I see like how suddenly uh, what has happened uh, becomes clear. Uh, much because as it like, becomes used a bunch later, right? Yeah. It's used in Acts 4. Um, I think uh, it's cited in First Peter as well. So that must have lodged itself in the disciples' brain. Like, oh, that's a prof- that is definitely prophetic, right? Sure. But at the time, at the time, um, did, did they know that? Well, first of all, they didn't know that the Messiah would, in fact, be a, a sacrifice, right? Or at least yeah. that wasn't widely known. Like, there, there are many things that were surprising about the Christ. Right. Even the idea that the Christ would be somebody who would hang on a tree was, was, was shocking. Um, and is, is that because they, they had just like not read scripture well enough or um, yeah. So it, it's, it's unclear, but, but it's clear for us looking at this now um, in hindsight and certainly the apostles to be like, ah, so that as we recited that Psalm, as we, as we, as we sung this in our liturgies, um, this thing that we sang uh, has now new meaning. This thing that has been rejected suddenly is our cornerstone. We are building our faith. On... And not only that, it's not an accident, as the psalmist writes. Yes. This is the Lord's doing. Yes. And it is marvelous in our eyes. Yeah. And, you know, we who are blinded by our sin, um, I don't know if that would have been obvious, uh, re- revealing to say, Oh, this thing that you're rejecting, um, it may have just angered them all the more um, and enraged them about Jesus, not fully understanding what it was he was saying. But it was like, what, what is it that Luke says here? He says he, they uh, they perceived he this parable was he told this parable against them, yeah. <laughs> yeah. you know, it's something about this has got to like, yeah, um, th- this judgment. Um they certainly perceived to be about them, even if the, even if they couldn't place themselves well in, in that parable or understand um, necessarily that, that, um, that they're rejecting the Messiah. So um, it must have, this must have struck Peter um, because in mm, Acts mm. four, I have this in front of oh, me. Peter, Peter, who is rock. Yeah. The stone. Yeah. Peter and John before the council. And this is early in Acts, right? They're, they're hauled in front of the council, arrested, um, and, uh, and, and, and they're asked, by what power or by what name do you give this? And, and, and Peter cites this. He says, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was mm. rejected. And this time Peter is like kind of adding to it. He says, rejected yes. by you, mm-hmm. <laughs> the builders, which has become the cornerstone. <laughs> and there is no salvation, and there is salvation in no one else. <laughs> So um, he must have been very aware. And then he writes of this later in first Peter and I won't, I won't be tedious and I won't, I won't say sure. that as well, but 
Yeah. So that's just the, interesting. I mean, to me. I mean that what's what's <laughs> interesting is is in the book of Acts, like all those sermons that Peter um preaches is are connecting like he's he's speaking to Jews, like to yeah. Jew first and then the Gentile. Like Peter's um ministry to the Jews is like this thing that 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 we have been told about was was uh, has come to fruition in Jesus Christ. You know, he's not trying to teach them a new thing. He's saying, no, this thing that we've always believed, it's happened. And it was Jesus. And uh, it's, it's, it's powerful stuff to put, put those pieces together. And um, yeah, not, not everyone was willing to hear. Yeah. Uh, any final thoughts on this before we move to our theology segment? I don't think so. Let's move on. For our theology so today, segment today, go ahead, Christopher, for we my disc- deepest apologies. We did not figure out who's going to intro the segment, <laughs> but I will, I guess. Yes, um, you will. On today's theology segment, we are going to do something different, something perhaps we haven't done before. We are going to talk about the collect for the day. Yay. So Woo-hoo. for Anglicans out there, you know what this is. Um, we have many prayers that we say, uh, written prayers that we say on a Sunday morning, but there's one particular prayer uh, that is... Uh, matched for either that that day of the that sunday of the liturgical season of the of the year or to the particular readings themselves and the collect for today uh we've uh i've referenced already i'll we'll pray it at the end but i'm going to read it now and by the collect for today you mean the fifth sunday in lent passion fifth sunday in lent yeah. um I'm going to read it, uh, and then we'll, we'll devotionally um, talk about what it is that we are praying. And it's interesting, um, you know, we, I'm not going to say that, sorry, scratch that, <laughs> cut that. All right, um, here's the collect. Almighty God, you alone can bring into order the unruly wills and affection of sinners. Grant your people grace to love what you command and desire what you promise that among the swift and varied changes of this world, our hearts may surely there be fixed where true joys are to be found through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. Amen. So very, very briefly to, uh, to dissect Every collect that we say, um, it, they begin with a with um, an address of God, Almighty God, Heavenly Father, um, something like that. Um, we pray to the Father um, in the name of the Son, by the power of the Holy Spirit, or through the Holy Spirit. Um, so we address God at the beginning, and then there's a petition, and usually there's like a turn. Um, usually there's a that in the middle of of the uh of the collect and then at the end there's this kind of doxology um uh through jesus christ our lord who lives and reigns with you and the holy spirit one god now and forever amen so if if you've listened to our podcast more than once you've heard this structure 
And um, so, so this acknowledgement at the beginning, uh, you alone could bring into order the unruly wills and affections of sinners. Grant, um, so this, this is an acknowledgement of, of the state that we are in, Kirk, um, that we are sinners and we are lost. And apart from God's work, um, our wills and affections. So Kirk, what are, we, we've established that these are unruly, that our um, wills and affections are unruly. What are our wills and affections? Uh, so the thing that comes to mind and I, and, and you can cut me off and we don't have to go down this road if this isn't what you're thinking of. Uh, uh, so our sinful nature or our inclination to sin, uh, the, 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 the $10 theology word is concupiscence, right? That in any situation, we have an inclination to damage ourselves, damage others, damage the created order. Um, further sever our, uh, our, our, our bond with our creator. Um, yeah. And so that, I mean, these are great adjectives, right? Unruly and sort of ungovernable, right? If you've ever had a child, <laughs> you know what an unruly will is, right? You know, it's best for the child and you can tell the child that you can show the child that, and yet nonetheless, they will choose otherwise quite often. Right. So is that, is that kind of what you were getting at? that our wills are wayward. They don't always want A, what's best for us, but also B, what's right or, or um, in, in uh, um, kind of conjunction with God's will for us. Yeah. I mean, we have, um, you know, Luther talked about the bondage of the will, you know, th these, these yes. wills that we have um, that uh, apart from, from uh, what, what God does, what, like our, our wills are bound until God unbinds them. Um, I, I, Kirk, I think, uh, of Romans seven, um, as far as like these unruly wills and affections, and I'm trying to find the place that I'm, for I do not understand my own actions. This is starting at verse 15, Romans seven fifteen. for I do not understand my own actions for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Mm -hmm. um, like this is an unruly will. And th these are ungovernable affections that, that the things inside of us cause us to do our affections need to be reordered. We talk about that a lot in Anglican life, don't we, Kirk? These ideas yes. that like we need a reordering of affections, that the way that we are naturally apart from God, uh, we desire things that we ought not to desire and to just you know, th th there is a, um, I don't know how, how large it is. I, I don't know if it's ubiquitous, this, this um, kind of um, secular sense of, of like, do what feels good, Kirk. Uh -huh. that, um, as Christians, we say, um, that's not the answer. Don't do what feels good because like our affections are disordered and we need um, God to, um, reorder our affections that's part of what we do during lent as we fast right that, that we use these these tools of of prayer fasting and almsgiving to help ourselves to reorder our affections um that's not to say that like do more try harder there's this balance we live in kirk acknowledging that this is god's work that, that only right. god can reorder these things and yet like there is some sense of participation we are not um 
we can't say, well, it's God's work. So therefore we can just do whatever we want. Uh, God does everything and yeah, we do something. I, yeah. I don't think there's any license in this comic, no. but there's no. certainly an acknowledgement of bondage, right? Boundness. Sure. Like, uh, yes. um, so Ashley Null, who's a, who's an Anglican scholar and a, and, a, and a great scholar on Thomas Cranmer has what's I think become a, a very famous formulation um, in Anglicanism for Cranmer's anthropology. That is, um, and the prayer book's anthropology. So the prayer book's vision for what the human heart looks like. Anthropology just means like study of man. Like what is, what, yeah. what animates the human heart? And he says this, this is his summation of the prayer book and how the prayer book understands human behavior and passions. What the heart loves, the will chooses and the mind justifies, right? So anytime we think about what we want to do, that's the end of a chain, right? That's yeah. not the beginning of choosing what to do, right? The mind justifies at the very end what the will had chosen and the will chooses what the heart loves, right? So we are bound by our affections. And this is a little in contrast to our, to our Roman Catholic friends who are um, you know, formed and shaped by St. Thomas Aquinas's vision of human behavior where the will um, ideally will act in accordance with right reason. So the rational soul properly ordered can constrain the passions. Um, and, uh, and, and we, we children of the prayer book, we have a, we have a little different vision um, as we read the scriptures and as we kind of search our own hearts, which that our inner attitudes, Christopher, within our heart, um, they determine the will's direction, not our rational mind, <laughs> right? Um, and, and, and this is why um, we often see human behavior so erratic and self-destructive. And so I yeah. think this, this collect is is lovely in its acknowledgement of how human passions and behaviors actually order our lives, right? So it acknowledges not, not that we, not that we through our right reason um, can properly order our wills and our affections, but rather almighty God, you alone can mm -hmm. bring into order the unruly wills and affections of sinners. Christopher and I have got to say personally, um, that a lot of my anger, a lot of my shame, a lot of my frustration, and a lot of my disappointment is, is, uh, has resulted from the illusion, the day-to-day -day illusion that I can bring my will and affections into control. And that if I could squeeze harder, I could be less angry. I could be more patient. I could be more focused. I could try harder. I could follow through on my resolutions, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? Um, and that is just impossible, according to this collect, right? Almighty God, you alone, you alone can, can bring into order my unruly will, right? So I've so monologued will, a little bit. Do you have any no. response to that? <laughs> well said. And Kirk, in light of that, um, and we've only discussed that first phrase. Yeah. <laughs> in light of that, we have a petition. 
Yes. We pray, grant your people. And so in the light of this, the fact that like we are helpless apart from God's ability to reorder our affections, God, grant your people grace to love what you command and desire what you promise. Hmm. Um, so even just to just focus on that phrase for a moment, um, we're at we're asking God um, an acknowledgement that 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 we can't do this on our own. So Lord, um, give your people grace to, to love those things that you command. Uh, we struggle to desire the right things. So Lord, reorder our affections and our desires so that we want the things that you want, that we are seeking um, to align our hearts and our affections and wills. We're, we're seeking to align those with God. And so we're saying, God, please grant us that grace that we would love those things that you command us to do and desire what you promise. That is um, really reminiscent of the, um, the response to the Decalogue. Um, right? Incline our hearts to keep this law. So in the prayer book, after each commandment, um, uh, have no other gods but me, we respond to the congregation, Lord, incline our hearts to keep this law, right? It's a very interesting thing that, that we're doing here is that we're asking not, not only to um, be made able to obey the law, but to change our hearts to love yeah. the law. Yeah. So just briefly to contrast this with Islam, where um, my limited understanding of Islam is that the afterlife will be filled with certain joys that we don't yes. get in this life. Right. That it's essentially this life is holding out for these things which are sinful now, but on that day, which is something entirely different, is it not? Yeah. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Okay, then the next phrase. Unless you had more you wanted to say there. Nope, that was that was great. So so with that petition, um we 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 uh say as we ask you this, we ask also that among the swift and varied changes of this world our hearts may surely there be fixed where true joys are to be found. Kirk, I've spoken first on each of, the, uh, each of these things. Uh, would you go first here? Yes. Um, this, Christopher, reminds me of um, a, a great verse of Abide With Me. Mm. Um, so Abide With Me, uh, it's a great hymn that, that's... Um, Unfairly um, relegated to funerals. Ought to be sung more often. Right. Uh, okay, so there's... Um, Second verse, is it the second verse? I think, and anyhow, it doesn't matter. Um, it says, uh, swift to its close ebbs out life's little day. Earth's joys grow dim, its glories pass away. Change and decay in all around I see. O thou who changest not, abide with me. Um, change and decay in, in, in all around I see. Uh, I've, I've always been struck by that line. Um, and the longer you live, Christopher, <laughs> the more that line strikes you, um, the more that seems to describe experience. Uh, if you live long enough, you will begin to mark most of what you see as change and decay. <laughs> and you will begin to notice um, that the only thing that's constant <laughs> um, is God. O thou that changest not, abide with me. And so this is a great, this is a great acknowledgement. Um, our 
that among the swift and varied changes of this world, um, uh, there, there, we have seasons of our life in which we feel as if um, the ground is shifting under our feet or we're spinning or we can't find solid ground or anything to grasp on. Um, and, and that may be true. There may be nothing around us to grasp on, um, but there is something that does not spin. There is something that does not change, uh, that does not decay. Or as the colic says, um, uh, there, that, there, that among the swift and varied changes of this world, there is something that doesn't vary and doesn't change. Um, and that is where our hearts uh, may be fixed, right? And that is where true joys may be found. And that is, and that is Jesus. Um, it's a good reminder too, right? Um, our, hearts, our hearts do seek uh, to fill the, the vacuum um, with, uh, with other things. There's St. Augustine's famous prayer, right? Um, mm. Or his famous observation that, that um, all human Which was one of our God. recent colleagues, wasn't it? To... Oh, I'm sorry, what were you gonna say? Well, he has several metaphors, right? That, okay. that all human hearts have a God-shaped vacuum in them. But but go ahead. What? Yes, the one, the one that was let three, that I think, where it, it was. Um, Our hearts are restless until, until they we find, find the rest in me. Yeah. Did, didn't we pray that two yes, weeks ago? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so no, this is great, right? Um, I I don't know, you know, if if everyone that's gonna that's gonna hear this will have had the sensation recently that there are swift and varied changes that are alarming, disorienting saddening um but i have to think that as as you continue to age that that's increasingly a sensation um and also what about true joys right like christopher from mm -hmm. um, all the different things that we seek um relief and joy in in our life um the things you look forward into the week uh so i don't know you know tomorrow's we're recording on a thursday tomorrow's friday there's something just in the nature of the work week where or just by Thursday, you're just yearning to collapse into whatever on Friday. And it's probably not God, right? <laughs> mm. Mm. Right? Like you're hoping for other stuff. I'm not saying it's sinful or, or awful, but like, it's not, it's not like you just cannot wait to collapse into the arms of Jesus at 5 p.m. on a Friday, right? Like we have other secular rhythms that drive that yearning, Yeah. right? And maybe and Kirk, like, Kirk, here, here's the metaphor is that, that that's that's grabbing for the hostess um, snacks at the at the convenience store right. or insert your your go to junk food here. Right. <laughs> Rather than the, the, the true food that's, that will nourish us. Yeah. Um, well, instead, we're grasping for things that, that, that do not satisfy. Yeah. But rather that our hearts may we should pray that our hearts may surely there be fixed where true joys are to be found, right? True joys, true joys. This is a, this is a prayer that I need, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This is not just, this is not just uh, us saying like, Hey, y'all, y'all need this. Kirk, there, there's, there's a, a term, um, acedia. Are you familiar with this term? No, I'm not. Educate me. Um, it's uh, if, if one were to Google it as I just did, <laughs> Uh, here would be the, the definition that comes up from Oxford languages, spiritual or mental sloth, <laughs> apathy, um, that, that, that this is, um, something that we can tend towards. This is, this is like, um, instead of 
collapsing in the comfort of, of the Lord, uh, a, a common thing would be to just binge a show on Netflix. But Netflix isn't nourishing. <laughs> like Netflix begets Netflix, right? Yeah. That like as you collapse and, and binge a show, that makes you want to do what? Watch more. And, Watch more. And, and uh, almost uh, like darkly, almost diabolically, Netflix never stops, right? It rolls right. into the next one, into the yeah. next one, into the next one. Or like scrolling through a feed. Um, yeah. Like apps are designed to be endless, never ending. Kirk, chief, I am the chief of sinners. Um, and 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 um, so I, I pray this prayer as sincerely for myself as I do for others, that I look for the wrong things um, to satisfy me. Mm. I've been, Kirk, uh, well, if I could just recommend for, our, for you and our listeners, uh, and this was like, I have to credit my dad for this. I mean, I've known of Arthur Brooks' work for years, yes. that he has really stepped away from uh, what he did leading... Um, AEI for years to, to essentially podcast, teach, and work and write about happiness. Yeah. Which and, is I mean, interestingly a, a very new sociological field. Like yeah. of all the things for sociologists to study, it never occurred to anyone to look into <laughs> happiness until like the last 20 years. And anyway, now go ahead, Arthur Brooks. And and uh, I mean he had I mean, he writes for the Atlantic now, among other things, and and there's a cover article that that caught my dad's eye and i read it and and i mean he's a christian um who's teaching uh you know he's not merely evangelizing he's saying you know wherever you are if you want to be happy here here are some ways you can be happy i want people to be happy um uh, but but it's it's a very christian message this Mm -hmm. idea of like don't reach for the thing you think you want that like you're the things that will really make you happy and when we think about it it's it might be easy to use logic to get our way there. And yet, as we go through life, we kind of, we do it blindly sometimes, unconsciously um, trying to satisfy ourselves with things that are unsatisfying. So I don't have a particular thing to, to point you to other than to look into our, our, um, Arthur Brooks and his work. Uh, his recent article in the January, February issue of The Atlantic um, is is essentially a distillation of, of a book of his. So yeah. he has a podcast, he has articles, books, etc. Yeah, I mean, so this may not have been the connection you made but with that article that you shared what this reminds me of this portion of this colleague is his observation that pursuit um of satisfied desires is bottomless is endless it's insatiable (laughs) um and it has to do with um kind of homeostasis of all organisms Mm -hmm. right so it's not like once you once the thing you desire once you grasp it you'll you'll sit in a state of endless euphoria, like you're, you will regress back to homeostasis and then the yearning comes back. Yeah. (laughs) And, um, there just is no satisfying that yearning, um, with any thing, any one thing, right. Is that, is that kind of what you were thinking about as you were? Yeah. Am am I misstating or accurately characterizing kind of his observations along these lines? I'd say that's accurate. Yeah. Yeah. And so we are asking God um, to do what we cannot do for ourselves, Kirk, Um, acknowledging our, our inability to do this ourselves. And we're saying, God, life is, is, is hard. It's tricky. It changes all the time. There's swift and varied changes of the world. Lord, fix our hearts um, where true joys are to be found. And uh, Kirk, shall we pray this together? Let's do it. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. 
Let us pray. Almighty and everlasting God, you hate nothing you have made, and you forgive the sins of all who are penitent. Create and make in us new and contrite hearts that we, worthily lamenting our sins and acknowledging our wretchedness, may obtain of you, the God of all mercy, perfect remission and forgiveness through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Almighty God, you alone can bring into order the unruly wills and affections of sinners. Grant your people grace to love what you commanded and desire what you promise. That among the swift and varied changes of this world, our hearts may surely there be fixed where true joys are to be found. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen. Amen. Next week. Next week, brother. Thank you.